0: Agree with me in prayer tonight as we are going to get into the word of the Lord. And so, Father, we just come in Jesus' name through his blood and we thank you so much for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence here. But I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said under our mighty anointing. But even now, the Holy Spirit is moving upon everybody that's going to be hearing this. And by the grace and power of God, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, I thank you for us all having good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that the Holy Spirit will help us to, to, um, to get the information, to understand the information. That we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, that our minds are clear, we're not distracted. Lord, everything's going to take place through this, that your will to be done. And Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for speaking through me as living seeds of truth, sown in a good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, that's taken root and growing and producing a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, that the winds of your spirit carry this out to the nations. It's going to get where it's supposed to get and accomplish what it's supposed to. Lord, we submit this unto you. (coughs) And we resist the devil. We bind up everything of the enemy. They would try to hinder this in any way. From getting where it's supposed to do and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We command that to be bound in Jesus' name and back off. And I thank you, Lord, for the angel, of Lord, clearing that away. And that, uh, Lord, that your word says it will not return void but accomplish that which you sent it for to do. So, Lord, we thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So, this is going to be kind of a, a sobering message at first, and then it'll get into more of a positive, encouraging message as we go. But I do have, I do feel that the last couple weeks I talked about what what to do when the heavens are brassing over, which in essence is that we're not going to play church anymore. We're going to get serious. We're going to get serious in prayer. And then I dealt with how the God of this age, little G God, Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers, you know. And then last week I dealt a lot with the carnality and the worldliness and things like that in the church. And again, that we we can't play church. We're living in the last days. We've got to get serious. So tonight I'm, I want to kind of finish that line of thinking that's been over the last three sermons preceding this. And really was what I was dealing with through paying the price in revival series. You know, dealing with prayer and how to see God move in our generation. But in 1 Corinthians 4.15, this is where I'm going tonight, entitling this message, Growing Concerns. 1 Corinthians 4.15, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, that means teachers. How many knows that we've got a lot of teachers out there, right? Yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. So we have a lot of teachers But we don't necessarily have a lot of real, true fathers. Isn't that interesting? Y'all, please get this tonight because this is very important information. So the difference between a teacher and a father, and it's interesting, I didn't plan this, but you know, here we are at Father's Day, right? But um, a teacher just simply will give you information and you have head knowledge that you know information. But a true father in the faith will see things reproduced in you. So I give you an example: a teacher may teach you some principles in prayer, and they're important, and you need to know them. But when you get under spiritual fathering, it actually will cause you that the you know whatever prayer life that individual has, they're a prayer warrior. They're not just teaching you something, but somehow it's reproduced in your life where you begin to have a powerful prayer life on your own. Now to develop into what God wants you to have, but it's reproduced. See, fathering reproduces. And apostolic ministries tend to be very fathering. There's a reproductiveness in them. So you not only have with apostolic ministry; you not only have kind of cutting new ground and cutting into new territory, but it's also a ministry that's very fathering and reproductive in people's lives, okay? So, you know, there's certain things that can be taught, but there's, and I know that River of Life understands this, but there's certain things that come As hands are laid on you and and that you're prayed over, that something is imparted into you by the Holy Spirit, and that impartation will strengthen you and change you. And it is accomplishing something in you that really could not be taught. It has to be imparted. Is that making sense tonight? How many of you say you've experienced it, actually, people prayed over you? And then it's like something from the Holy Spirit began to move in your life and strengthen and change you in certain areas. And somebody could have told you about it, but it's different. But God is actually doing it in you. And so that's where I'm coming from. We have a lot of teachers and there's a lot of information and that's good. We need teachers and we need good information, but we also need to have reproduced in our lives from spiritual fathers. And I feel like that's lacking, just like in the natural. Unfortunately, there's a generation that's been here really since the 90s, so really two generations, that there's been a lot of absence of strong spiritual male authority leading in the ways of God, really rising up and leading, that you're seeing the result of that. And I'm going to show you. These are growing concerns that I've had over the last couple decades. I'm concerned. This is just concerns, and I want you to think about it today. And maybe there's some things you can do to help remedy this. But in the greater body of Christ, that we're not seeing a passing to the next generation, the depths of God. Everybody say the depths of God. There may be something that's a mile wide, but it can still just be about an inch deep. And what I mean by that is, is that there may be a lot of people involved. <clears throat> there may be something that that's a big event. It, it looks really exciting, and everybody gets hyped up about it. It's a mile wide, but yet the depth of it is only about an inch deep. And. The thing is, people may get excited for a short time, and you know the music is electric, and and people are hyped up, and they're they're cheering about this, that, and the other, and they they kind of get involved. But even though that's there, there's not really a passing into their life. The deep things of God. It's just kind of getting people excited about events and things and programs, and we're going to do this and that and get involved and but the depths of God. And another growing concern, this kind of plays into all of these kind of play together. It's it's one big concern I'm sharing, but it has different facets to it. But I've seen a lot of increase over the last couple decades of carnality in the church. And I've definitely seen an increase of worldliness. So you're seeing... A lack of depth, but you're also seeing an increase of worldliness. And I believe it goes together. I could go a long time on that worldliness, but ungodly, the, the amount of Christians that, that now are comfortable with really ungodly entertainment in their life, hanging around the world, participating in worldly things, the language that they're using, the things that they're drinking, the the things they're doing to their body, with their body. There's just an increase of worldliness that is coming, Christians, and it's definitely coming to churches—not here, but in many places—and it's become normalized. And people, I don't, I don't think that a lot of them even really realize how carnal and worldly that they are, because it's normalized in the church they go to. Yeah. They they can sit out before your here and talk about stuff that shouldn't, Christians shouldn't even really be talking about, you know, jokes, coarse jokes, language, the ungodly stuff they've watched over the weekend, whatever, just, it, it's just, into it's normalized. So there's a worldliness there that's come in, the spirit of the world, and there was a time in the body of Christ that we had some amazing teachers and leaders that had something apostolic about them that their teaching wasn't just really powerful information, but there was such an anointing to back it up and it reproduced in a generation. And I I remember, for example, I could go on and on and on, but Kenneth Hagin Sr. was one of them that comes to my mind. Kenneth Hagin Sr. had a great depth in his teaching that, unfortunately, some of his successors went too far with some things. And and he he himself had to rebuke them. But his teaching was solid. And not only did he have great teaching, but he had a prophetic edge about him. That he had these powerful encounters with the Lord. And not only that, but in his meetings, there was an anointing that saw the sick healed and people set free from things. You see, there was a depth in him and there was something apostolic there that reproduced in a generation. Changed my life and many others. And that's just one of 12. I won't just name a few in passing. I think about Derek Prince. Probably one of the greatest teachers in the body of Christ that we've had, maybe even since the early church, in my opinion, it's just my opinion. There was a depth in his teaching and a wisdom that is really unparalleled, I think, in many ways. But and he pioneered some teaching about curses and about deliverance that was that really helped the body of Christ. And there was a depth to his teaching. I mean, he had a here's hear what I'm saying. He had a prayer life, and out of his prayer life, God showed him things, and he would teach it. But it had something in the teaching that had substance, it had a weight to it, it had an authority in it. And not only that, but there was an anointing that would back it up. He would teach on the deliverance ministry or whatever, and then he would have people stand and pray over them, and all through the audience, people were delivered from all kinds of things. And I could go on and on and on about great leaders that many of them have, have passed on, they're, they're either dead or they're elderly or whatever they passed on. And Perry Stone made a statement that really stuck with me. And he said that he was talking about end time prophecy. And Perry Stone said this and, and I I had to agree with it, but he said this, he said there's a generation of baby boomers. He said that though that generation He said, many of them have died. Many of them now are elderly. He said, that generation really studied the Bible and they knew how to study the Bible. You know, their Bible would have highlights and underlines and references and studies. They laid out books. They really studied the Bible. And he said, that generation had a really solid understanding about end time prophecy. But he said, that generation, this is what Perry said, that generation is dying off. And he said, "There's a generation coming up that doesn't understand end time prophecy." Do you understand what I'm saying? And I've seen that because you can't spend five minutes on YouTube or read a meme and understand end time prophecy. You really got to dig down deep and study the Word. And that there's um, anyway. I think I've made the point. So also there's a the generation emerging that, from what I've been told from numerous sources out there, there was a generation that now, again, baby boomers that are elderly, many of them have passed on, or many of them are quite elderly now, that they knew the depths of prayer. They knew how to pray. So I grew up around that too. They knew how to pray, they knew how to get a hold of God and to actually see answer prayers. They knew how to pray things through. And these intercessors that understood getting in the spirit and the deep groaning and travailing in the spirit. There was a generation of Pentecostals and spirit-filled people that understood the depth of prayer. But amongst those that are Pentecostal and, and supposedly, and I'm sure there still are, there's a remnant out there, okay? But... A lot of places that are Pentecostal, so to speak, you don't see Pentecost. I mean, you don't even hear tongues anymore. So I'm not saying it in a critical way. I'm just saying that it's in name only, you know. But from what I've been told from numerous sources out there is that you don't see it, you don't hear it in the upcoming generation. And they may get really excited about the newest, latest song that's out. And it may be a great song because I like modern worship. I always have. It may be a great song and they get really excited and they'll lift their hands and may, they may jump up and down and, and they, they, they get into the worship or whatever. But there's a difference between that and getting deep in prayer, getting in the spirit. And um, there's a generation that that is foreign to them. And Kenneth Hagin made a statement. He said that unless we pass that on to the next generation, he said this many, many years ago. He said it's going to be lost. I hope that we're not at that place. But how many knows that revival can turn everything around? And I've been seeking the Lord for a long time that he would raise up end time intercessors. Y'all remember that right there. Pray that. Pray that because God, the Holy Ghost, can mark people all over the world. Yeah, as the saying goes, from the rising of the sun to the setting, God can make it. Where all of a sudden somebody in Japan, somebody in Africa, somebody in China, somebody in Cambodia, somebody up in Europe. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just falls on them, knocks them to the floor, knocks them out of their bed or whatever. This deep groan and travail starts coming. And the Holy Spirit just come on them. And he can turn them into an awesome intercessor in just a few days. Can't he? So the Lord can do it. But I'm concerned that that has not really been passed on. By the grace of God, I don't even know how this happened. This was not anything with me, certainly. But I just, when I was going to Bible school, I was very young, very young in the Lord. I'm talking about saved out of a lot of sin, saved for maybe a year. I was still struggling with some of my past. I was a baby Christian, and I was very young in the Lord, and I was physically young, 19, 20 years old. And in that state, you know, God began to really touch my life through revivals. I found myself wandering in to a uh, Claudio and Claudio meeting in uh, South Oak Cliff area to church. I didn't know who Claudio was, and I'd never heard of the Argentine revival. And he prays for me. I just stumbled in. Same thing with Brownsville. I heard about it. Some friends, you know, I, and at the, my pastor at the time told me I need to go. I just stumbled into it. In the same way, I stumbled into this Pentecostal church. Now, this place, God bless them, I love them, but they were like death warmed over spiritually. I mean, they were were in the the land time had forgotten. You know, I mean, they were just they were as dead and crusty and religious as you can imagine. But how in the world did I, here's the thing, out of all of that, because there was not too many good experiences there, except for this. God began to move in my life, so I was spending time in prayer because God was doing it in me, in the sanctuary by myself, and that's how I met Ruby and Addie because they would come up there and pray, and they were like, well, who's this young whippersnapper over here, you know, <laughs> and they began, listen, they began to take me under their wing, you remember what I said, we have a lot of teachers, but not a lot of spiritual fathers and yeah. mothers, well, they didn't just teach, <laughs> teach me things, they prayed with me. And I would sit there next to them while they were groaning and travailing and praying in the spirit. And they would lay hands and pray over me. They were like, man, God help this young man. He needs help. To and you know what? God heard their prayers. And he began to do something in me that I didn't even realize the depth of what was going on. Because it was beyond just being it was It was spiritual parenting. And God began to really develop a prayer life in me. And that stayed with me because it was parented, spiritually parented in me. It wasn't just a sermon I heard. It was something that was kind of mentored and they laid hands on me. It was something that God put in me. And I didn't even realize how resonant that was in my life, even though I, I was a person of prayer until that happened. I've told the story so many times with Brianna in 2011 when she got hit by the power and then that I mean it was like Ruby and Addie praying to her. I I was shocked. I was just kind of just standing there looking at it. It's like wow. It took me back in my mind to the 90s in that sanctuary, the sounds of the intercessors. It was awesome. So there's things that can be taught but there's also things that have got to be imparted to the next generation. The depths of God, the depths of the word of God, the depths of prayer, the depth of the spirit, you know, really working the altars. I was with one of my, I don't want to say too much here because I don't want this going on the internet that it end up specifically targeting somebody that, but I was with one of my spiritual mentors that, you know, and he was telling me that. This is what he said, just him and I in his office. He said to me, I'm very concerned about what I see in the next generation. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I'll tell you. He said, the Holy Spirit starts to move. And he said, I've got my youth pastor over here and he doesn't know what to do. And he seems nervous and scared. And he looks at me like, what do I do? (laughs) And the pastor, this person's telling me this story, is like, yield to the Holy Spirit. You just move with the Holy Spirit. But this younger g- generation doesn't really know. Right. And so he's having to, tra- he feels like he's having to train something that should already be there. Right. Because he's been in the ministry for quite a few years, you understand? And so he remembers Back 20 years ago, he remembers having youth pastors that knew how to move in the spirit. And now all these years later, he's looking at a, a youth pastor. like in his early 20s, that doesn't even know what the move of the spirit even is in a Pentecostal church. Who, by the way, this person's parents are pastors of a Pentecostal church. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, there's a lot of teaching, but there's got to be spiritual parenting reproducing in the generations Amen. there's a big big difference and also about true genuine revival so I've talked about the depths of the word the depths of prayer the depths of the spirit the moving of the spirit the gifts of the spirit what in this younger generation do they know how to give a message in tongues and then somebody interpret that Because my whole life in Pentecost, that was common. Is that going to die with the baby boomer generation? Do you see what I'm saying? So the next thing is true, genuine revival. And again, I'm saying this just out of growing concerns. I mean, hopefully you can tell I'm, I'm not upset. I'm not being critical at all. I'm just saying these are just legitimate concerns. But also people. People have wanted me to get so fired up about certain movements out here that they they may have some good worship and they do have some good teaching that I've heard. Or maybe there was a book written. I read the book and it was a it was a pretty good book. Or, you know, they might be up here and there'll be a word of knowledge and somebody is legitimately healed or something like that. That's awesome. But they want they want me to act like this is the greatest revival that's in. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you've never really been in run. This is just a good church service. Hello? That's that's just a good service. And thank God somebody was healed. Thank God something happened. And I'm happy for all of that. I think that that's wonderful. But don't start calling that a great move of God and like some historic revival. When we grew up around that stuff. We grew up around that stuff. Is just simply being, hey, we had a good Sunday night service. That was a good Sunday night service. Growing up, right there. They're like, oh, we have break. Give me a break. You're talking to somebody that was in the middle of the '90s revivals. Okay, I know revival. But see, there's a generation coming up. I'm concerned that may not know the difference between a major move of God a real, genuine, authentic revival, which will mean this, that people are coming to get right with God and truly being born again, born again and deeply repenting of their wicked ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I felt that when I said that. That's genuine revival. Yeah. Yes, there will be healings and miracles, and yes, there will be deliverance from demon spirits. And yes, there will be gifts in operation. All that's very important, and it is a part of revival. But they don't know. See, here they are calling something revival while they seem to be getting more and more worldly. That's not true revival. True revival is is you're getting less and less worldly. <clears throat> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And this is the last little bit of growing concerns, and now I'm going to jump into something totally different. But the modern church, also by and large out here, has been dumbing things down to appease the carnal, the worldly, and the tears among the weed. And this is what concerns me. I've even had people try to tell me things, and I love them and I understand where they're coming from. But I, you yeah, know, I'm not going to, like, tone down what am I supposed to do come in here and say now Holy Spirit there may be some that comes that just doesn't like you and they don't like some things you do so could you please just tone it down are you giving are you kidding me he's God I'm just thankful that he shows up I'm not going to be telling the Holy Spirit what to do I am so thankful that he's here. Amen. He's God. Amen. He's in charge. Yeah. If he wants to throw people on the ground, if he wants to do whatever he wants to do, then Holy Spirit, please come do it here. Amen. In Jesus' name. Yeah.
1: But man, I tell
0: you, people are something else. So what people <clears throat> are wanting to do, it's it's, and I know that this with some out there just may go right over the head, but it's not about trying to get a huge facility, a, bit, a lot of money, the decor, and however many, as many butts in the seats as you can get, you know, the biggest offering, it's not about those things. That's right. And people have made it about those things. Yeah. That's that's the problem, is that is what is important to them. So therefore, that's that's their, let's just say, that's their little their little Buddha. Okay? That's their little, that's what they worship. That's their little God right the buildings, the money, the butts in the seat. What, what can we do to keep as many people here, to get as many people, because it's all about that. It's all about the numbers. Get, get as big an offering. What can we do? And so pretty soon, they start saying, well, if we can keep the service within an hour, just have a couple cutting edge songs, have the decor a certain way cutting-edge technology, have a, have this, have that. Don't preach anything that will upset anybody because, God forbid, they may not come back next week. <laughs> come on. Oh, you know, whoa. They may not come back. <laughs> and so, it, you know, we're laughing But here's the thing, like I said last week, wouldn't it be sad if some of these leaders, when they stand before the almighty and half of the congregation they knew and spent time with is in hell. The other half were about that deep spiritually. From God's perspective, how is that not failure? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. Well, that sounds mean, but I don't mean it that way. But God's looking for people to get off the milk and on the meat. He's looking for some fruit, isn't he? He's looking to see some depth here, some growth, you know. So what's happened is is that there's a lot of churches out there that are dumbing things down spiritually, dumbing down the teaching to milk on purpose, dumbing down the move of the Spirit, dumbing down the activity of the gifts. Now don't let anybody speak in tongues. Don't let you know, dumbing everything down to appease yeah. the carnal and the worldly and even tares among the wheat people that aren't even saved. They're trying to appease them. Since when are we going to try to appease the tares among the wheat? Right. <laughs> I got it. I got a radical concept here. What okay. if? It's just going to blow everybody's minds. Ready? <laughs> okay, you ready? What if God actually wants us to bring them up to a spiritual level Amen. on the meat in the depths of the spirits? Yes. Some of them may not like that, may not want it, and whoa, they may not come back. I know that's devastating. But I mean, some of them don't want it. But what if instead of dumbing things down now to where everybody is on milk. What if we're walking in the depths of God, in the meat? We're walking in the spirit. Amen. We operate in the gifts. We're, we're solid in the things of the deep things of God. What if the people coming in, what if we could take them and father and mother them and bring them up into maturity and into the depths of God yes. instead of trying to dumb everything down that they're loving? Yeah. And in, in a secular sense, that's like taking seniors in high school and dumbing everything down to the kindergartners. Yeah. So we don't want to offend the kindergartners. <laughs> you guys that, you know, trigonometry and stuff. So why don't we just dumb it all down to where you guys are sitting in circles, talking about your ABCs, <laughs> having your little nap time, You know, and spiritually speaking, getting your diaper changed here shortly, you know, and dumbing everything down. You see what I'm saying? But that's exactly what, and I I hate to say this, but that's exactly what demon spirits have deceived a lot of places into doing, and they're doing. Yeah. All right. But here's the good news. Now I'm shifting gears. God can turn everything around on a dime. Yes, he can. When revival comes, you remember the Bible says a thousand years is as a day. You know, one of the things that means about God is that God can do in a 24 hour period what man could not do in a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. God can do in one altar time what 10, 20, 30, 40 years yes. of counseling and therapy could never do. That's right. So, God can turn it around on a dime, and I believe that He will. But you know why I say that? Because he's, Christ is not coming for a worldly, carnal, defeated, uh, defiled, polluted bride. He's coming for a glorious church and a bride without spot or blemish. So God himself is going to step in. Judgment begins in the house of God. Yeah. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the head of the church. And he will come and set his house in order. So I believe that we're about to see that. So great revival and restoration, I believe, is on the horizon. But here's the pattern. Now, just shift gears with me. Isaiah 58. The pattern I've taught so many times. You guys heard it, heard it again. But the, the excuse me, the pattern of humility, prayer, fasting, being a giver, and deeply consecrating our lives. So deep repentance there's a pattern there five in the bible is the number of grace christ had five wounds on the cross etc that's god's grace if you want god's grace in your life a grace to see incredible answers to prayer to see the miraculous god gives us a pattern if we will humble ourselves if we will pray and fast and be givers and deeply consecrate our lives we have a great promise now this is how I want to shift gears and just kind of read through this. And I want this to be really encouraging for River of Life because I believe that you guys, this is for you, okay? So the first thing I would say is you're probably pretty familiar with it because I've taught on it. But in the Old Testament, God gave a, a, something called the Nazarite vow. And there were certain people that had a really high calling on their life that from birth they were called to be a Nazirite and they lived that way from birth on, okay? And for example, you see that in the life of Samuel. Samuel was a Nazirite. Okay, so what is a Nazirite? A Nazirite was somebody that, that would set themselves apart unto God. So anybody could do this. God basically put in the law of Moses if somebody really truly wants to to know me and press into a relationship with me and really consecrate their life to me in a special way. Here's what they can do. And God initiated this. God said that that they could do this Nazarite vow. What that meant was from the day that they took that vow, they could not cut their hair so their hair would grow long until they cut it. And when they ended the vow... They would go to the priest. There's three things. I'm just on the hair part. They would go to the va- to the priest who would shave their head and then take their hair and put it on the bronze altar and it would burn up in the fire before God is an offering. So the hair represented like the length of days that they consecrated themselves. The second thing is they had to stay away from dead bodies, in particular corpses, okay? So in the Old Testament, if you were around... Dead bodies you were defiled by. And so God was saying here that you had to keep yourself undefiled before me. So a Nazarite had to really make it a point to stay away. And it's interesting because if you study this out, the high priest, you remember the priesthood? So you had Aaron was the high priest. He was the only one that could go in the Holy of Holies. And then his sons were priests They could go into the holy place and burn incense, but then there was also those that were just Levites that were in the outer court. The point is, is the high priest was the one that really went into God's manifest presence in the Holy of Holies. God said about him, you are not to be around dead bodies, even close relatives. There was a few exceptions, but he had to keep himself undefiled. So the Nazarite, was basically being like a priest in that they were really keeping themselves undefiled before God. Isn't that awesome? And the third thing was they had to stay away from anything to do with the fruit of the vine. So grapes, raisins, wine, grape juice, that. They had to stay away from that. They couldn't have it. And so, what, it was a fast. So it's interesting that they had to fast. So the whole time that they were doing this, they were still eating some, but they were living a life of partial fasting. I'm going somewhere with this. And so a Nazarite was somebody that would really set themselves apart, they would keep themselves pure, and they would live a lifestyle of partial fasting before God. And I couldn't help but think about john the baptist he was a Nazarite from birth when you were dealing with everybody look this way and hear me when you were dealing in history with a real pivotal time where let me let's just use john the baptist i mean samuel was at a time of transition from uh the judges to the kings okay there was a great but in john the baptist time john who was a descendant, direct descendant of Aaron. He was actually, by blood, a priest. And a prophet, by by calling. But John was living in a time where he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was the one that was going to close out what we knew as the Old Covenant. And he was going to transition things and... Be the one that water immersed the Son of God. And then anything to do with the prophetic, the priesthood, all that went on Christ. And he said, he must increase, I must decrease. John was the one that basically, if if you can wrap your mind around this high calling, John was the one that transitioned from the old to the new covenant. Have you ever thought about that? And he was the forerunner for Christ to you know usher in his ministry and he said about him behold he is the Lamb of God he turned everybody's attention on him yeah. so John lived at this transitional time and it John was also a man that was not only a Nazarite but John lived a fasted lifestyle he lived off of locust and wild honey and I know people say this plant, this, that, and the other. But locusts in the Bible was actually kosher. The guy ate grasshoppers. Let's just be honest, okay? The guy ate grass. He ate locusts and wild honey. But he lived a fasted life. Isn't that something? And that lifestyle of fasting was something that as a Nazirite and somebody that lived a lifestyle of fasting, he was used so mightily by God. So I want to encourage you because there are people in River Life that I believe that have felt God nudging you to live more of a lifestyle of partial fasting. And I can feel that about some people. And maybe because of the lateness of the hour that we're living before Jesus comes, maybe there are more of you, and maybe even some that listen to these podcasts, that God may be dealing with you to live a lifestyle of partial fasting, it means you still eat, but you do give up some things during the week. Maybe Monday through Friday, you sacrifice some, and then on the weekends, you maybe are more loose about it, however you feel led to do it. But there's a lifestyle here of fasting. And those that will, and I know that we have the Watchmen program, so we do have most. People in River of Life fast one day a week from morning to evening. Most people do. So you're already doing some fasting. But others have felt a call to do some partial fasting throughout the week. And I want you to know that I can feel that when you're doing it and I can feel it. It's powerful. Now here's how I want to encourage you. The Bible says in the last days before the coming of the Lord that we're going to see the hearts of the fathers turn to children, children to fathers. There's going to be some type of like a spirit of Elijah that is released again, like on John the Baptist. And I believe it's already here. I believe it's been here since the 90s revivals. I believe maybe even before that in some places. But the Holy Spirit is moving in a fiery mantle to prepare, to bring in the harvest To draw people to repentance and to prepare for this transition from the church age to the millennial reign of Christ. We're living at this time where the church age is coming to a close. People need to be ready to meet the Lord in the air. We're living in that time like John the Baptist. We're living in a time of great transition. And I believe that God is going to call some people like like the Nazarites, if you will, that are going to live a fasted lifestyle and deeply consecrate themselves unto God. And because of that, God is going to come upon us in a powerful way. And I believe it's going to be a lot of like a remnant out there that's going to hear this call. And they're going to be people that are powerful intercessors and prayer warriors. And God is going to use people in these latter days to do extraordinary things because of the lateness of the hour. They're going to be Nazarites. You see, Samson was a Nazarite. He just wasn't faithful to it. But think about how God used Samson in an extraordinary way that the man could kill a thousand Philistines with a donkey (laughs) jawbone. It's going to be like them. It's going to be a supernatural God comes upon people to use them in such a way that there'll be such a fiery anointing that they're going to see a harvest open up before them. Amen. People deeply repenting of their sins and getting saved. Amen. They'll see tremendous healings and miracles and demons flee, but it's going to be by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God is calling people to this and I believe in river of life. I feel this. That there are people that feel more and more within themselves that God is preparing them for this. He's calling them to to a kind of a Nazarite lifestyle of really consecrating yourself and having partial fasting and going after God to see great things. Yeah. Well, let me encourage you, River of Life, that you are a church of prayer and fasting. So here's what I want to do. You ready? We're going to look at Isaiah 58:8. I'm going to give you some promises for those that will live a fasted lifestyle. You ready? Isaiah 58.8 says this. Those that will humble themselves and will pray and will fast, repent of their sins, that's deep consecration, and they'll be givers, givers to the poor, etc. The Bible promises you, the Lord said, your light is, will break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory, or basically the glory, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Isn't that awesome? You know what that means? It's a parallel to Malachi four two. But unto you who fear and, wor- oh, re- I'm sorry, unto you who revere and worshiply fear my name, The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. That means in Hebrew, beams like rays of light. And you will go forth leaping like calves released from the stall, (coughs) leaping for joy.
1: Isn't that awesome?
0: The Lord promises those that are prayer warriors and fasters... That God will arise with healing in his wings. That his glory will come and will bring health to you. River of life, hear me. This is about to start happening. Mark my word, it's coming. God has seen people's prayer and fasting. And God is about to come in with healing in his wings. Number two. I love this one. Isaiah 58 verse 9. Those that will humble themselves... And pray and fast and give and consecrate your life unto God. He said, You will call to me and I will answer you. How many want answer prayers in your life? Yes. Think about that. The Lord said, I promise you, you will call unto me and I will answer you. And then he says, Also, you will cry out and I will say, Here I am. How many want God's nearness? Think about that for a minute. How many have felt before you got prayer, maybe in the altar you were praying, or maybe at home you were praying and you really felt the Lord's nearness? How many have felt that? How many want the nearness of God? I do. But see, the Bible says about the humble that God will be close to the humble, but it says he knows the proud afar far off. See, there's something about humbling yourself in prayer and fasting. Humbling your soul in prayer. Humbling your body in fasting. That God says, I will answer your prayers. And I will be near you. Isn't that awesome? Verse 11. It says, and the Lord shall guide you continually. How many want the Lord's guidance? Man, in the days that we're living, we need the Lord's guidance. Yes, and he says, I will satisfy you in drought and in dry places, make your make strong your bones, and you will be like a watered garden whose springs of water do not fail. My goodness, you know what that is? That is revival. Let me let me just paint a picture for you. What would it look like? Let me read Jeremiah, and then I'm going to paint the picture. Here's the parallel scripture in Jeremiah 17 verse 7. Blessed is the man who believes in. Trust in and relies on the Lord, whose hope and confidence the Lord is. He will be like a tree planted by the waters that spread out its roots by the river, and it shall not see and fear when the heat comes. That's the drought. But its leaves shall be green. It will not be anxious and full of care in the year of drought, nor shall it cease yielding fruit. I want you to picture this for a moment. Let's picture that we had a drone and we were flying the drone over the Nevada desert. I'm talking about the land of cactus and tumbleweeds. <laughs> and let us we're flying the drone and we're all looking at the, the camera here on the screen and all of a sudden, out of all of this wilderness, we see some little stream of water And we see a tree planted by that stream. All around is just cactus, tumbleweeds. You see a lizard on a rock. You see see a rattlesnake over here. But yet there's this tree planted by this water. And this tree looks so ridiculous to its surroundings. Why? Because it's so lush. Its leaves are green. It it is full of fruit. And it's obviously nourished by this stream. You know what that is? That's the promise that even though the world is going to experience spiritual drought, that God's people that will humble themselves in prayer and fasting and push into Him, He said, No, no, no. You're not going to be drying up and withering. You, like a tree by the waters. Everything around you may be a desert. But you are going to have my streams of water in the desert and your roots will go down deep and you will bear fruit and your leaves won't wither, even though all around you is a desert. Isn't that awesome? And here's some more parallel type scriptures to this. Jesus said in John 1.23, you remember John, I'm sorry, John the Baptist, John the Baptist said this. He said, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness The voice of one shouting in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path of the Lord, as the prophet said. So John, even though John was out in the wilderness, so to speaking, John the Baptist lived in a perpetual personal revival. As a matter of fact, he lived like a burning flame of fire of the Holy Ghost, so much so that people left the city to go out into the wilderness to sit under his ministry and to be baptized by him. Why? Because the hand of God was upon him. He was like a tree that was bearing fruit in the desert. Are see seeing that? But John was a man of prayer and fasting who consecrated his life. Now look at Joel 2.22. This again has to do with those that will be prayer warriors and, and live a life of fasting. He said, Do not be afraid, you wild beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have sprung up and are green. In other words... These desert places are going to become green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their full strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in your God, for he gives you the former and the latter rains, just in just measure and in righteousness. And he causes to come down on you the rain, the former and latter rain as before. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, For he gives you the former and early rains in just measure and righteousness. And he causes to come down in you the rain. So isn't that awesome? And it says in verse 14, or 24 rather, that the threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow with the uh, the juice, the fruit of the vine, and there'll be oil. So what that's saying is, is that if Israel would pray and fast, God said, I will turn your deserts. Into a place that's yielding fruit, that's turning green, that's yielding the grain, that's yielding the fruit of the vine, and yielding the oil. So you know what God promises? Even though all around you may be a desert, the Lord said, I will guide you, and I will make your bones strong, and I will make you like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And then the last promise here, Isaiah 58, 12. Anybody studying out the promises of Isaiah 58 would want to live a fasted lifestyle because of the promises here the promise of healing, the promise of God's nearness, the promise of answered prayers. In Isaiah 58, 12, it says this man, I love this. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. How many knows that there's some ancient ruins in America, in Dallas? Did you know there was a time in the 40s and 50s that Dallas was kind of the hub of revival? This was the area that the revivals of the 40s and 50s that were sweeping our nation, this was kind of the hub, and it became Christ for the nations. This was the hub of that latter day revival. But there's some ancient ruins that have that have been torn down by the enemy. Wells that have been stopped up. But here's what God says. Those of you that will be among those that will pray and will fast and humble yourself before me. You'll consecrate your lives. He says this. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And look at this. He says you will raise up the foundations for many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. Restore his streets to dwell in. Isn't that something that God could use us to see things that the devil has torn down restored? It reminds me of Elijah whenever he stood on Mount Carmel and, and the prophets of Baal were there. And the Bible says about Elijah that he rebuilt the altar that Jezebel tore down. And it was that rebuilt altar there that God sent fire from heaven and performed a great miracle. And the counter, the complementary scriptures in Joel 2, which also has to do with fasting, Joel 2.19 says, Yes, the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain and, and the, the juice and the oil, and you shall be satisfied with them. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army. That's the destroyer. Did everybody catch that? That's the destroyer. That's the satanic destroyer. He said, I will drive away the destroyer and will drive it into the barren, desolate land with its front toward the eastern Dead Sea and its rear toward the western Mediterranean Sea and its stench shall come up like a foul odor because he has done great things. The Lord has done great things. The Lord will have destroyed these invaders. And then he says in 25, I will restore and replace the years the locusts have eaten. Do you what God is saying there? He's saying that if you'll be a people that will humble yourselves in prayer and fasting and consecrate your life unto me, he said, I will restore you. I'll restore all the years the locusts have eaten. I will restore it to you. And then I will use you to be restorers to the body of Christ. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Amen. And in that restoration. The Lord said I will drive away. The enemy that has been destroyed. Yes. See that's part of this. God has to drive away. The devouring destroying enemy. That has been devouring in areas. Whether it be health, finances, relationships. Or or devouring um these these ancient ruins that the enemy came in and destroyed and tore them down, God has to drive that enemy away, but then He will restore. Yeah. And so, what I want to close with is the story of the Amalek or David versus the Amalekites here, because we got to have faith. I was thankful because when I accepted the Lord early on in my twenty early well, actually January not of um, 2005, so I was uh, very young, but in my early 20s, God began to bring some really good teaching in my life, and one one of the teachers that God used was Kenneth Hagin's teachings on faith and on the authority of the believer, and amongst other things, and I began to really learn who I was in Christ and the authority that I have in Christ. But I also began to learn that God wants us to be in health and to prosper and to do well. See, a religious spirit deceives people into thinking God wants you sick and poor and defeated. That's the religious spirit. And I began to really understand faith and develop faith in my life, in my spirit. See, A lot of people haven't had that foundation. It's just a mental agreement, but it's not developed in their spirit. It has to be developed in you. Okay? And once that faith gets in you. So we have to have faith. We have to have faith in what God's word says. God has promised us, river of life, if we will be a people of prayer and fasting, which we are, then he will arise with healing in his wings to us. That we will call to him and he will answer us. And we will have his nearness. He promises us to guide us. And to give us a great revival here. That there's going to be streams in the desert. And there already are. And he promises that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten to us. And he will use us to help restore to the body of Christ. Let me tell you, that latter part is about to happen. There's been like a destroyer type of attack of the enemy. God is about to drive away the destroyer that's been coming against us. And there's going to be the years the locusts have eaten are going to be restored. And God is going to send the revival he has for us. And he's going to use us with many others to help see restoration to the body of Christ. And I believe that if we will earnestly pray and seek him, I believe that part of that restoration will be this. That the devil has stolen from this generation the depth of God, the deep things of God that the previous generation understood. It has been stolen from the upcoming generation. But I believe that we will really earnestly pray that God will answer our prayers and he will use River of Life and other places to help restore these ancient ruins that have been torn down. And see, this generation experienced the depth of revival and the move of the spirit. that they begin to understand the deep things of the word, the deep, the deep, the depth of prayer.
1: Deep intercession.
0: Mm -hmm. They begin to understand the depth of the anointing. And they begin to understand the deep things of God that the devil has basically stolen from. And so to River of Life, this is to you, River of Life. In 1 Samuel 30, now when David and his men came to Ziklag. Now remember, River of Life, that the word of the Lord that came to us from a prophetic individual. That they were like David's mighty men. They were like giant killers emerging. Yeah. Okay. All right. David and his men, these were his mighty men. They came home to Ziklag on the third day and they found that the Amalekites had raided the south of the Gif and in Ziklag and had struck Ziklag, burned it with fire and had taken the women and all who were there both great and small captive and they killed nobody but they carried off and went on their way and David and his men came to the town and behold it was burned and their wives their sons their daughters they were all taken captive and David and his men lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep David's two wives had been taken captive um, and David was greatly distressed for the men spoke of stoning him because their souls in them were so bitterly grieved each man and his four sons and daughters so river five i believe that there has been in the past in the past some of you have experienced some loss maybe some of your children and grandchildren are captive to the enemy maybe some of you have suffered loss in your health or have suffered financial loss but the enemy came in like a destroyer and it stole some things. But David, who knew how to pray. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray you bring me the ephod. You know what that was? That was the high priest garments that only the high priest was supposed to wear. That when he fled from Nob, he took him with him. And David, who already figured, well, I might as well put on the priestly garments and see God, because if I don't, these men are gonna kill me anyway. So if God strikes me dead, whatever. So David puts on the priestly ephod, and David inquired of the Lord, and he said, Shall I pursue this truth? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said to David, pursue them you will surely overtake them without fail and listen to me and recover all everybody say recover all, recover <laughs> all. you see that's restoration Amen. some of you in the past you need to hear what i'm saying river of life because i believe this really is for you and this is the word of the lord for you some of you in the past over the last 10 15 years there's different areas that the enemy came in and there was a stealing killing and destroying so to speak in different areas and now you're a people that are like David. You've Now you're a people of prayer. And, and you've humbled yourself in prayer and fasting. and We've been seeking God about things. And, and yes, we're going to see uh, through River of Life, we're going to see some things that God has for this ministry in the way of, of the revival and the harvest, etc. But on a personal level, here's what God's about to do. You see, the enemy came in. The Amalekites came in. They were the ones that burned things down with fire. They were the ones that stole and took captive. It was the enemy. Just like in Joel chapter 2, the destroyer came in. But because God said to through Joel, if you'll humble yourselves in prayer and fasting and deep repentance, God said, I'll turn this thing around. I'll deal with the enemy that has stolen and destroyed. I will drive away that destroyer. I'll clear that out for you. And then I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. I will restore everything that's been stolen. And so the Lord spoke to David as he was praying and said, you shall overtake them and you will recover all. And then skipping down to verse 16. And when he had brought David down, there was a guy that guided him down. Behold the raiders. This was the Amalekites were spread abroad over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. Think about this. This wasn't just David's men's belongings and their families. This was everything that these Amalekites had stolen all through the land of the Philistines and in all of South Judea. So there's a great plunder here. And David, the Bible says that David and his men rode down into their camp and began to smite them from twilight, even to the evening of the next day. 24 hour period. David was whipping them really good. And it says then in verse 18 that David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. Everybody say, Recovered all. Recovered, recovered all. all. He took everything back. Nothing was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David recovered all. And river Five, this is something to encourage you. I believe that you guys, some of you have been through some loss in the past. The enemy came in. There's different areas that the enemy attacked. But I'm telling you, because... You have become a people of prayer like David. You inquire of the Lord. You're you're a people of prayer. And because you've been humbling yourselves in prayer and fasting, you're givers, you've really repented of your sin before God. God himself is about to drive away the enemy, the destroyer. God's about to drive the enemy away. And he's going to restore back all that's been lost. And it reminds me of Job in the Bible. When God turned the captivity of Job... Not only did Job get everything back the enemy stole, but he got back double. Right. That's like David here. David didn't just get back everything that he lost. He got back he got everything that the Amalekites had stolen from the Philistines. You can only imagine how much more David got back. Yeah. This isn't just what they lost. This was tons of spoils of war that David got. So that's what the Bible saying here. I will drive away your enemy. And I will restore all the years the locusts have eaten. Everything that's been stolen, you will recover all. But it has to be faith. You remember how the persistent widow, she would not give up until she got the answer. prayers. And Jesus said about the persistent widow, she will get what she requested. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. See, faith requires a patience that some don't have <laughs> yeah. and so they give up because they're like i'm not waiting any longer I forget this in the end you know but those that will have the patience and the persistence god will be faithful to his word god is not a man that he should lie he doesn't change his mind He is faithful, and he will do what he said he will do. And people like River of Life that are people of prayer and fasting, I promise you, you will call upon the Lord. He will answer you. You will cry out to him. He will say, here I am. He will make you like a well-watered garden, and he will restore what the devil has stolen. He will give you victory over your enemies, and he will restore. And not only that, he's going to send a great revival and use River of Life like many others. To help see restoration to the body. And my heart is this. As God sends revival to the river of life. I want to see. A bunch of the younger generation. I mean just. Bowled over with revival fire. And that they begin to experience. The depth of real revival. Not just jumping up and down. At a couple cool songs in a service. And thinking that's revival. But they really experience the depth of God, amen. the depth of his word, the depth of his spirit, out of them will arise some tremendous intercessors like what happened to my daughter. And there is going to be just a great revival that br- that restores the things that the devil has stolen. Yes, Amen. And I'm believing for that, guys. I believe that in many ways, the rumbling has already begun. I believe that River of Life, we're already, you guys ever stepped outside before and it wasn't even in the forecast, Yeah. but you were like, man, it smells like rain Yeah. and you started looking up and sure enough, the winds were blowing and you could feel that they had changed direction and you start seeing the clouds moving in and you look to your spouse and you say, you know what? I know it wasn't in the forecast, but it sure feels like rain and sure enough, give it a little bit more time and it's raining. And I'm telling you guys, we're already smelling rain. Amen. You're already kind of hearing there in the distance. You already feel the rumbling. Why? Because it's already stirring. It's under the surface. And you prayer warriors, just keep moving forward because it's about to break loose. Yes. And so, Lord, as we close out tonight, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We're believing you, Lord, that as we pray and fast, Lord, we're going to see what you have for River of Life, but we're going to see what you have for the greater body of Christ in these latter days. Because Jesus is not coming for a worldly, defeated, defiled church. No, He is going to send revival that's going to get us ready to meet Him in the air. He's coming for a glorious church and bride without spot or blemish for wise virgins with extra oil. And that can only be accomplished by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God says in these last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And so, Lord, we thank you that you're doing it. We expect it. And we're positioning ourselves to be right in the middle of what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray.